between conscious consumers and regenerative farmers, believing that only by bringing them together and getting them to dance and progress together, I think it's going to get better. Welcome to Startup West, the podcast about building scalable tech startups in sunny Western Australia. My name's Charlie Gunningham. And I'm Carly Norman, and in this episode, we're talking with Ben Cole, co-founder of ASX-listed ag tech business, Wide Open Agriculture, based in Williams, which is about 160 kilometres southwest of Perth. Hi, Ben, and welcome to Startup West. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks, Carly. It's really great to be on the podcast. Great to have you. Can you tell us briefly about Wide Open Agriculture? By the way, I love that name, Wide Open Agriculture, and what it does, and how's it going? Yeah, I can. Um, Wide Open Agriculture, it is a wonderful name. It's actually from um, Lifted, from the amazing Triffids track, uh, Wide Open Road. That's what inspired the name. Um, But also it represents really our business model, which is being wide open about um, how we farm and how we improve farmland and support the farmers that grow our amazing food. So Wide Open Agriculture is a regenerative food and agriculture company. And our job, our real mission is to allow food consumers, which is all of us um, who have a level of consciousness or awareness around the food they eat, and connect them to farmers that are described as regenerative farmers. And to us, regenerative is really about making things better um, rather than worse and doing that through very concrete farming practices that people can understand and be a part of so that when you eat the food, you understand what it's doing on farm and the benefits it's doing to that farmland. Okay. So when did this start? Where did the idea for this come from? And, and were you all from a farming background? Oh, yeah. Deep farming stock. Yes. Right. Raised in wild Atterdale, the suburbs. I was out there <laughs> harvesting the lawn every month. No, that's as far as I get as my farming skills. Uh, married in. Best way in with farming. Uh. Married in. My wife is the farmer. And um, the germ of the idea from Wide Open Agriculture actually came from from Holland, which has always been a very, you know, wide, expansive, outlooking country. It's so tiny. Um, and the chairman, Anthony Maslin, was introduced by one of his ex-colleagues, um, Maz, as we all call him, the chairman of Wide Open Agriculture, was introduced to this idea of building a business case around large-scale landscape regeneration sort of big words but really it's about the world's in trouble but it's not going to come through grants and government alone private sector has to get involved it's where most of the money is private equity is Um, and we have to build businesses that are really rugged and sustainable and resilient to achieve that so that's that was the real germ of the idea maz called me i'd been living overseas for about 10 years with my wife and family and we were just ready to come home we'd been in the east coast of africa and with young kids it's just a little bit like you get to a point where you're like i just want to be around wow what just year a- was this that was um that was actually 2014 Mm. No, and then it was really Maz linking to the concept of building a, a business case around four returns. That's our, that's in our DNA. That's in our shareholder, our constitution. We we aspire, of course, to financial returns, but also social, natural, and this fourth return, which is inspiration. The idea of bringing hope and sense of purpose to to a new business. So that that was the early days. 
That's amazing. Now you've mentioned regenerative. Re- I know, I know. Well, because it's a concept that we don't hear discussed very often and very open. I have come across it before in some specific lectures and things, but can you give us a rundown on how that would differ from, from current mainstream farming practices? Yeah, I can. Um, It really is about um, recognising that you want to work with nature and not against it. And I've had many conversations in the Williams pub with farmer mates about all farmers work with nature, not against it. That's true. That that is absolutely true. And every farmer is as hardworking as the next farmer. It's an incredibly challenging job from agronomy through to machinery, through to human resources. Like it is a complex job and I would not ever take anything away from a farmer. But regenerative farmers, from my experience with ones that self-identify as regenerative, they really do talk a lot and care about their soil. They want to do everything that repairs and heals their soil and treat it in a way that it is a living ecosystem. So if you can maximise the the biological diversity, uh, the microbial diversity, the natural unlocking of nutrients in your soil, you're actually going to farm better, produce better food and spend less on your inputs like fertilisers and and, and pesticides. Then they care and talk a lot about biodiversity, trees, birds, bugs. They want them on farm. They want to protect it. They want it to expand it and enhance it. And then they really care about water, as you should. (laughs) As a farmer in the wheat belt or the southwest, we don't get a lot of it. So they really talk a lot about the water cycle. So it's about soil health, biodiversity, and the water cycle are the three sort of key tenets of uh, regenerative agriculture. And then as a sort of end consumer, like say perhaps how Charlie or I might be, Mm. um, I understand that that's come to market now under your, is it Dirty Clean Food brand? Dirty clean food, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's dirty. It's healthy, nutritious, vibrant soil. Um, clean, no hidden nasties. So if you want to know how we're farming, um, come and ask us because we're totally transparent. And we really believe that we at Dirty Clean Food host a dance. I totally ripped that off from our non-exec director, Ronnie Duncan. Got to claim him on it. It's awesome, though. We are hosting a dance between conscious consumers and regenerative farmers believing that only by bringing them together and getting them to dance and progress together are things going to get better. And, and that is a point of difference with organic. We, we looked really closely at organic and we're big, big fans of organic, but we're not an organic brand. We are regenerative in that organic seems to have sort of hit a bit of a scalable challenge in that it becomes very expensive to produce food that is organic Um, And that really makes it quite difficult for all consumers to access, whereas regenerative we really believe is more scalable and takes farmers on a journey but also brings consumers along on that journey with them. So I'm trying to get a handle on how you make money. What's the business model here? I see there's a huge global problem um, and you're out there doing it and it sounds fantastic and noble, but how is it a business? Yeah, no, the the business model is pretty simple. Um, we, we focus on um, delivering products that are defined as regenerative uh, to consumers and we act as a marketing and distribution arm for, for those products and for those farmers. And we focus on ethical meats, so grass-fed beef and regenerative lamb. 
We have a, a digital platform, an online platform, which brings in um, sustainable suppliers that has seafood, flour, oats, now eggs and pork and chicken, which allows consumers to get online delivery. Um, we also have an oat milk product that's soon to be launched, and we're working on a really exciting lupin uh, protein. Um, so that's a really exciting big market, lupin protein, because the current plant-based protein market is worth about $18 billion. People that follow the American stock market would have seen Beyond Meat was the darling of the IPO. It's now got a market cap of close to $30 billion because people are making a choice. I don't want to eat cheap meat that is mm. made in a, uh, a feedlot. I want to replace it with a plant-based protein, and we think Lupin's a really good example of that. So the business model is really across those those four sort of platforms. Um, so you source supply and then you do distribution out to supermarkets or yeah yeah we're we're multi-channel so we're online so we have very happy to say we've got 2000 um orders away now so we've got a really loyal base with our online sales we sell to supermarkets really good independent supermarkets like iga farmers jacks um peaches those sorts of places um we're in yeah over over 30 of those and, of course, prior to COVID, um, it was all about premium restaurants like the Rock Pools and Cape Lodges of the world. And happy to say they're, they're coming back uh, very quickly, actually. So this week's right. been very busy for Jay, our, our head of Dirty Clean Food, because all the chefs are back calling up. Every restaurant I've been in this week has been packed out. It's been like this latent demand. Yeah. Want to go out and have a meal? Absolutely. Very competitive. It sounds really hard what you're doing. It sounds great, but... Sounds hard. A lot of people trying to do what you're doing or do you stand out as a bit of a beacon on your own? Uh, we're a real beacon in Australia. Um, yeah. we, we call it, you know, we're Australia's leading regenerative food and agriculture company. Um, we kind of got there first and um, we do try and keep kind of a thought leadership role as well. It is really complex because, um, yeah, as everyone involved in startups knows, it's hard enough to be profitable. So when you're also taking on other sort of uh, metrics around social, natural, and inspirational, it's it's really important that you you keep the balance right, that you keep you keep the sort of profitability and financials at the forefront. But there's always this kind of engine underneath that gives you your purpose. Um, but it, it does it does result in a better business at the end of the day. But yeah, it's really complex. It is a complex space, but not only that, but the agriculture market is incredibly competitive as well, generally, mm. not just for somebody trying to go a little bit against the grain and add in all of those other, I guess, values into a business as well. How did you find when you're establishing as a startup, um, it was taking on some quite large players in the space? Yeah. I mean, we've we've taken on an intentionally sort of disruptive role. So we we think that it's um it's okay to go into established markets and, and give it give them a real poke. And why we had such confidence around that was because we speak spoke to regenerative farmers saying, so now I just sell into a commodity market. I farm completely differently to my next door neighbor. But when it comes to options as to where I can sell and distribute a market, I've got none. It's I'm just a commodity farmer. And then we were speaking to consumers and a lot of the people who's founded the company, like me, are the same. You walk along a shopping aisle and almost every purchase is a compromise on your values. And so we knew that there was this kind of 
pool of conscious consumers that was ever growing. We knew that there were regenerative farmers seeking that relationship with consumers. So it was about bringing those two together. And that, that proof of concept has worked. You know, like we, we've kind of shown that it works. Like consumers that buy our food, the feedback we get is at times overwhelming. Like it's like, thank you for being this company. Thank you for offering me really healthy food. But also I get to know the farmer and hear the story and know that I'm part of something bigger than me. So I, I'm really excited by that for us as our profitability grows, but also for other companies. It's true that if you show that you do have more than just a product, that you have a purpose and a value proposition behind it, that you've got to back up. It can't just be hearsay. Um, then it can be really a really powerful tool to get into really big markets. So I've got a farmer jacks down the road. If I wandered down there this afternoon, what, what would I look for to try and get your products? And, and you would look um, for a beautifully um, f- sort of framed, shining yellow and ochre-coloured right. packaging in the grass-fed beef and lamb section. And depending which farmer jacks it is, um, but yeah, we are in we are in all the farmer jacks actually. Right. So um, it should be there. Or I um, jump on your website. Or you jump on, you certainly could, even better, jump into uh, dirtycleanfood.com.au where you could buy yourself a range of, uh, of meats or you could take one of our selections. We have small family or large family boxes, but then you've got all those assortments. assortments. We, we actually just bought truffles in, which is very exciting yeah. because what we're recognising is because our values are so strong, other producers, farmers and agricultural companies are coming to us. So Bannister Downs Milk approached us and said, what you're saying about how you treat farmers and your farmland aligns exactly to what we want to do. So can we be a part of that? And, of course, it's, it's a great opportunity. Now, you did an ASX listing um, last year, the year before? Yeah, two years ago now. Yeah, 2018, yeah. So as I would say to most startups, why on earth would you do an ASX listing? So tell us, tell us that story because that's not for everybody and you would have had quite a journey, I'd have thought, going or well, leading up to that. But also I mentioned the decision. Why go down that route? Um, yeah. Presumably what alternatives did you look at? Yeah. No, actually um, we decided in the first month of um, the creation of Wide Open Agriculture that we wanted to be a listed entity. Um, the main reason was that... Um, with with the scale of the problem, we wanted to have access to the scale of capital that would allow us to address it. That was the first reason. The second reason was um, I'm a big believer in uh, for-purpose impact investment social enterprises and have been involved in them before and um, have built up a profitable business before and um, Maz, the chairman, have done the same thing. But actually, when you look at your opportunities to invest in impact investments, it's, it can be quite hard. And so we wanted to bring a company that was a public company that people, mum and dad investors could get involved in and um, could say, oh, this company aligns to my values and it's making, making a buck for me. So we just think that's a great thing generally for society. Um, and, and I also think that um, listing for us strategically is quite good because it's hard to invest in food. Now, if you buy food that you like, the main way you can support it is to keep on buying it. But actually with dirty, clean food, if you really like the food, um, you can become a shareholder in the company that provides that. 
Mm. So we're actually finding that's kind of working both ways. Like we give our shareholders deals um, on the online. So they, they've had the opportunity to buy online and get a discount. Um, but also we've had um, people, shareholders go, oh, you do, yeah, you do dirty clean food. Oh, great. I should be buying from you. So they were the three main been too onerous, all, all the governance, all the uh, reporting to the market, all the analysts ringing you up, telling you how they could run the company better, all that sort of stuff. That Yeah, no, yeah. they're the cons, definitely. They're, they're definitely cons. Like, <laughs> that, is a, that is a huge amount of work. But then the flip side is that you are in the market every day. So you are actually getting information and feedback every day. And actually, as a private company, there is a danger that you can get a little bit of... Um, yeah, sort of inward looking, oh, we're doing okay here. <laughs> you do not get that privilege as a public company. So you you do also um, get the opportunity to be very responsive, but I, I'm not, and if my CFO could hear me now, he'd be like, no, you've got to talk more about the regulatory stuff. The regulatory stuff is hardcore, but also it gives investors, you know, it, it is it is. It is really amazing knowing the rigour that goes into our audits, um, our financial reports, our quarterly reports, our um, commitment to continual disclosure. These are things we have to do. So I actually think it brings you up as a corporation to the highest level of standards that impact and normal investors deserve. That's good to hear. So go for it, startups. No, just kidding. It's Don't not right for everyone. But, um, yeah, yeah. When, when you feel the time is right, I'm happy to talk to people about it, my experience, yeah. Great. Thank you so much. And actually, it's really interesting to kind of hear that that's the decision that you made so early on and we've gone through that journey now and you've listed. But if we were to go way back, Ben, uh, and take you through your own career and your own schooling as well, just to find out a little bit about how you actually ended up at this point co-founding an ASX-listed business, I'm keen to see if you sort of had inklings of entrepreneurial leanings at a younger age. What were your favourite subjects at school? That's a good question. Um, I, I think I, I, I really like science. I always really like science, but a bit of a science nerd. So that was my thing. But also, for some reason... Um, yeah, I, I used to always do quite well in economics and I sort of always was like, oh, that's funny. Like, why am I, why am I, you know, I don't have a natural flair for a lot of things, but economics, I sort of had this natural flair for it. And I always liked, um, I always have liked new ideas. Um, always. So like I was the guy who played T-ball, soccer, football, basketball, tennis, like for two seasons each because I'll be like, mm, next? Is, is the next idea better or more interesting? Or, um, But but that was that was sort of at school. I always liked, um, yeah, just trying new things, I suppose. Yeah, so that, that I would say would be my main trait as an entrepreneur. Yeah, and I, and I like people and I like uh, meeting new people. So, hmm, I, so curious. So you're very curious. Curious is the word. Yeah. And as a former economics teacher, then I'm highly impressed yeah. that you liked economics as a subject. Uh, There's a lot about you, Ben. <laughs> uh, my background intel paid off. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so this curiosity that you showed through school and your out-of-school activities, did that continue on when you started to pick up work as you got a little bit older as well? Did you stay in jobs for long? Were you always chopping and changing as you got bored? How did that come out? 
Yeah, to be honest, I was a big chopper and changer. Yeah, out, out, out of university, I um, yeah, I really did probably spend sort of five years bouncing from from job to job. I really, I, but I enjoyed it. I, I didn't actually have any problem with it, and I felt like I would learn things from each each job. But then I did reach a stage where I was ready to sort of really look at my own sort of opportunities and sort of. Um, I had always wanted. Yeah, it's funny when I when you ask the question. I had always wanted to start my own business. Like I just knew I was going to at some point, and that opportunity really came to me with an idea when I was living in Hanoi. I was I was working for UNICEF, and um, in their in their very exciting, most exciting department, I think toilets. Um, you, you may laugh, but uh, two billion people do not have access to clean it's sanitation. What an area, Ben! It's an important yeah. and essential service. Yeah, it's, yeah, we're all we're all doing it. it um, so, <laughs> so um, but I I was driving to work, and um, the streets are just horrendously polluted there. And I bought a face mask that everyone else wore, and it didn't provide any protection from pollution. And I thought, oh, there's an opportunity here, and that sparked my first real entrepreneurial zeal. And um, actually, I was lucky enough to get into a, it's called business in development. It's a Dutch uh, lo- uh, pottery uh, lottery postcode funded um, group that supports new businesses in developing countries. And one first prize in that pricked up some investors and it was such a good accelerator. Like suddenly I was like, yeah, this is the world for me and, and left behind UNICEF and um, really focused on that for seven years. Wow, that's amazing. So how do you end up in East Africa with a wife and kids? I mean, I've heard bits of Hanoi. I've had five jobs in my first few years. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, you should see my CV. It's a Uh, 20-pager. I... I actually, after the after the business is called Carrybon, it's still going. I sold it to a Vietnamese businesswoman who's doing really, as you can imagine, um, with the onset of Corona and the need for face masks. Um, she's she's doing fabulously, which is good on her. She's great. That's Annie. Um, but I actually, I yeah, you do. You have to be careful with startups that you don't burn yourself out. You do have to be really careful of that. And it's a common story with lots of people, particularly your first startup, because it's your real baby. Um, and you need, yeah, and I needed to let go. So um, when I did, I was then back in my world of toilets. And um, what was great, though, is that I had been approached by someone who said, oh, you're one of the rare people who's actually had exposure to traditional grant programs in in sanitation in developing countries but you've got a business background so can you use that experience and apply it in Malawi which was really fascinating for me because um I've always had a nervousness about just sort of give it and they will take and they'll learn the better of um that experience by getting given something for free but I totally disagree with that and I've read a lot of Noel Pearson and I totally agree that it's got to be shared responsibility and I think markets, it doesn't have to always be financially transacted, but markets are a really good way of ensuring shared responsibility and really listening to customers. Like we listened to what people wanted in a toilet. They didn't actually want cement in their toilet. I mean, they've got dirt floors in their lounge room. They want cement lounge room floors. They just want a toilet that doesn't wash away in winter when it rains a lot. So that's that was a really interesting framing. And then the builders were like, well, we want to build it but make a profit. We're not going to do it for free each time. 
So it's just these really simple little um, revelations that come out of using market-based approaches, but for good. And that that really set me up well to then come back home and set up wide open agriculture. So I can see the the business, the thirst for the new, the you know real drive, but also the social is impacts coming in as well. And then it actually makes sense that you end up with wide open agriculture. It was I, meant to be. I think you're right, Charlie. I do sometimes say it's it has the universe has delivered on this one. And mm. um, yeah, of course, when I first got back to the wheat belt, I was like, "Ooh, I've got an interesting skill set here." I wonder if uh, how this skill set's going to work in a in a small town like Williams. And I'm sure I could have found something, but actually, um, creating wide open agriculture has been such a good opportunity for me to to bring this such a Let's call it bizarre, bizarre collection of skills together. And apart from the restaurants shutting down, has COVID impacted you at all? It sounds like it hasn't really. No, no. I'm, I'm at risk of being um, regarded as a pandemic profiteer. Uh, the face mask right. business has gone incredibly well. Um, and then I think people's awareness of um, the story behind their food, not just food safety, but also what is it doing to the farm? Um, is it fair on the farmer? Is that that really is resonating now? And of course, people want to know about health. You know, is my immune system being boosted? Am I protecting my family's health? So we we have actually grown um, since Corona. I think we were on that tra- we were on that trajectory anyway. Mm. But I think it's really just cemented this value proposition around healthy food from a farm that you that you trust. Right. It's interesting as well that you've mentioned now coming back to Williams to set up the business because I know that you're quite passionate about having your head office located in Williams. I'm um, talking about that social impact side of things and that community-based work that we can very clearly see as well through your work history. Um, I can imagine that there's been a lot of pull for you to relocate and things like that as well, but you've made a very conscious effort to keep those offices based in the regions close to your farmers. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, that's a great question too. Yeah, no one's really asked me that before. Um, that's that's something that, I mean, a bit selfishly, I'm really happy bringing up free-range kids. Like farm life, you know, is awesome. Like, you know, for kids under, under 15, this is the dream. You know, like it is, it is awesome. But it has been really hard. I mean, I... I literally have been up to Perth once a week for the last, pretty much the last um, almost six years now. So it's, you know, it's a two and a half hour drive. It doesn't break you. And I know people have much longer commutes than that day in, day out. But um, it does start to wear you. And, you know, I've seen people hit emus in front of me. I've had large white goats run out in front of me. So that's, that's a reality. And also just not being close to your team, but actually, um, you know, with Zoom and everything now, it's become much easier, but it's definitely been a challenge. And the other thing we learned was we used to try and recruit people to come and move to Williams. And we really learned that 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 doesn't work. Um, You need to have people who are making a decision already to move to this region, to regional areas, to just encourage people, to lure people with a job. In our experience, it hasn't worked. So um, that's something we don't try and do anymore. So I I do sit in this, to be honest, in the head office alone, but I have long-term ambitions to build a local team. But 
with local people um, or people who have made a decision already. Yeah, I want to live regionally and I welcome people who are interested in that sort of opportunity to to reach out to me because, um, yeah, I, it's, it's a totally different lifestyle, but it's a great one once you're used to it. That's great. And we're almost at the end. We'll go into a rapid quick fire question round in a sec. So get ready for that. Hold on to your hat, uh, Ben. But where do you think you'll be in five years' time with wide open agriculture? I had a quick look on the ASX. I see your share price has tripled um, over the last uh, few months. So, yes, it's done remarkably well. But I'm sure you're a longer-term thinker, not a short-termer. So where are you thinking you're going to be in five years' time? Where would you like to be? Yeah, we we would like to be a, a globally trusted food brand. So when people see Dirty Clean Food or a product from Dirty Clean Food, they know that it's doing something positive for the farmland and the farmer that created it. Um, we want to have um, product lines in every aisle of the shopping in the shop in the supermarket, or ideally online as well. Um, our our forecast, um, you know, we we really want to be, we're really aspiring to be, you know, a multiple hundred million dollar revenue company, and that's across um, through our ethical and regenerative meat, through our oat products, our oat milk, and also our our plant based protein from Lupin. So we mm. really have an awesome team. So I really believe that. Yeah, now with with them in place and with really good, we just completed a successful capital raise, so we we have sufficient capital to to deploy that strategy. So we're we're in a really sweet spot at the moment after a lot of hard work. This is this is exciting times for wide open agriculture. And it's actually really exciting to hear as well about a startup that is coming positively out of COVID. Obviously, a lot of people have suffered quite a lot as well, mm. but it's always really interesting as well to hear about the sectors that are still going well. So, congratulations. And I will lead us into the quick fire round. Ben, just a one word or a short sentence answer. What is the single most important factor that makes a successful startup? People. That's getting it. the right team around you? Yeah, it's all about the people. Yeah. We used to have a quote in our company, it's never the technology, it's always the people. <laughs> yeah. Found, I think I know the answer to this. Founder as a solo or founder as a team? Mm-hmm. Team. Yeah. I think that that's a, that's a pretty, it's a pretty uh, common answer. Nice to share the load. Who should we interview next? Oh, well, that's a good one. Um, uh, I'm, I'm really interested in the other um, social enterprises. I've just joined the West Australian Social Enterprise Council. Um, and this, uh, do you know Pat Ryan at Dismantle? He, that's a really interesting business. I don't know if you've already interviewed him, but he's a great one. Another woman called Katie who's there, who's got this new sort of social enterprise startup around cafes. So right. I could give you all of their names. They're great. We would AI, like, like it or loathe it? AI. Yeah, artificial oh, intelligence. Love- Love it. I, Love it. You know, my first experience of AI has <laughs> has got to be Spotify, and it literally brings out the best music that aligns to what I'm interested in. Uh, yeah, I, I don't get I don't get the fear up to, up to this point. I, I literally see it as as only a positive. Yeah, I'll make it easier for the next one. If you were at a bar, what would you be ordering? Oh, what would I be ordering? Ah, uh, oh, um, pro- probably. Oh, something pretty weak, like a, a low alcohol beer. Okay. So I don't go to bars much. 
for the long drive back to Williams after you've been in Perth. <laughs> yeah, that's normally the restraint. Yeah. I did try this amazing, it was like a, oh, anyway, it was a soft drink that was like not alcohol but delicious and it was yum. Yeah. I'm imagining you sitting on your rocking chair on your stoop um, chewing <laughs> on a piece of barley wearing your, your hat. What will you be drinking as you're rocking forward, watching the sunset over the acres? What would I be drinking? Uh, pro- probably probably a, um, I don't know, a soda water with lime okay. or something delicious like that. Cool. How do you look after yourself? What does self-care look like for you? Not very good at it, to be honest. Still working on it. Um, definitely jogging at least three times a week. Well, that's good. But, yeah. But it's always that when it's the crunch time when you should really be looking after yourself that you don't. So that's what I'm really working on is actually when the pressure's on, that's when you should make the most self-care. It's easy to take care of yourself when the pressure's not on. So that's more a practice that I'm working on. Great. I think it's something that uh, we all need to improve on. It's nice to nice to see yeah. we are all in the same boat. Mm. And what are you reading, reading or listening to right now? Reading. Oh, yeah. I'm well listening. I'm listening to some really good podcasts. Um, there's one called um, Ologies. It's really good. It like talks to all these experts about their experience in their ology, like whatever scientific dis- discipline it might be. So that's what I'm listening to. What I'm reading, this amazing book about um, a migrant family from China that moved to Canada. I can't remember the name. I'm hopeless at book titles. <laughs> oh, don't tell me we don't have anything. Really good read, mm-hmm. but I'd probably read half a page each night and then fall probably asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ben. It's been a delight talking to you, and I uh, want to wish you and all the team the very best for the future. I also want to thank our sponsors. Uh, without them, we can't do this. Startup West is produced by Startup News and is made possible by support from Space Cubed, the New Industries Fund from Jitsi, Curtin University, and RSM. We record this podcast virtually in beautiful downtown Perth, Western Australia, with Ben joining us from Williams. Don't forget to subscribe to Startup West on your favourite platform, so all our latest episodes will wing their way to you automatically. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys. Great questions. Thanks. That's a great conversation. Thank you.